Um, let me get through the lesson real quick so we can hear some more. <laughs> um, that's Assisi, the town uh, in Italy. Uh, Assisi is uh, uh, a town that's a little bit north of Rome. It is the town where St. Francis was born. And to understand a little bit about the lesson, I want us to first get an idea of, of where we are geographically. We've got uh, the map of modern Europe, and I've got Italy and France kind of in a different color. Hopefully you can see them there. I stick Rome here just because uh, it's Rome. It's kind of an orienting place. It's where Tom Cruise got married the other day, sort of, if you want to call that marriage. And, and um, <laughs> nothing personal if he's listening to this on the Internet. I would love to talk to him about Scientology. Um, uh, uh, my number's in the book. The... Uh, uh, Rome is there, and outside of Rome, in a fortified city where uh, uh, that was actually set up, my understanding from John Michael is in part uh, so that uh, if uh, there were, Rome was under siege or attack, it was a place where the Pope might be able to go as a fortified and walled city, uh, is Assisi. So we put Assisi up on the map, and you can see where it is. Now, because of its location in Italy, it's real close to France. And I want to tell you what happened uh, uh, one fine day. There was a, a woman uh, uh, who gave birth to a little baby. And the baby's dad, whose name was Pietro, which is Peter in Italian, ultimately. So we're just going to call him Peter so we feel a little bit more at home with him. His dad, Peter, is away at, at business. You see, Peter is a cloth merchant. And Peter's been over in France doing his cloth business. And uh, uh, Assisi as a town was one, which, uh, again, this is some of the information that's not in your handout. This is the privilege of coming to class. I learned these things from John Michael on the airplane yesterday. Um, uh, Assisi is a town where the Catholic Church, principally, was trying to work out capitalism as a new way of, of uh, economy, as opposed to the bartering system. Money was being used. And uh, it was really a step forward from the Middle Age bartering system that was in place. Along with this capitalism that was starting, they were able to take people out of the poorer classes who, as merchants, moved into money. And that's what happened with Francis's father, this gentleman named Peter. He had been born, he was originally from a poor class, but through his merchanting of cloth became quite wealthy. Kind of new money in this new economy this uh, new capitalism. And so dad's away in France when mom gives birth to the baby. And do you know what she says? Let's name him. Anybody want to guess? No. John! Giovanni! After John the Baptist, because this is to be a man of God. Dad came home. Dad said, we ain't having, we ain't gonna have a no Giovanni in this family. Dad said, France is the new cutting-edge place to be. I'm a clothing merchant. This is the market. This is where I was. So we're going to name him France. But France doesn't quite have the name to it, so it's Francis. And that's where his name came from. Dad's effort to make him the new economy child, not the man of faith that his mama had intended him to be. Francis grows up enjoying his father's wealth and money. France grow, uh, uh, Francis grows up and, in fact, is uh, considered the king of uh, frolic. That is a title which he got from various parties he went to. 
Uh, he was the life of the party. He was the king of frolic because that was a vote that would be held at some of the various festivities. And whoever got elected king of the, f- the frolic got to pay for the meal and the festivities and the fun. And Francis was quite quick to spend his family money and uh, uh, was very popular. He walked around singing. He was the, the life. He was the gregarious, outgoing person that everybody wanted to be with. Um, uh, y'all remember being school age? Some of you still are school age. Okay. Some of you still act school age. Uh, some of us still act school age. And uh, uh, you can remember in school there were just some students that were the life of the part that everybody wanted to be with, the popular ones, the ones that, every, that could always tell the funny joke, the ones that had the money and the newest things and the most fun things. And that was Francis. He always had the best clothes his clothes sometimes beyond what the money he should have spent on clothes that even his family had. But, but he had, you know, his dad's a cloth merchant, so he's got the, the I mean, he had the first uh, jeans that, did you know how much some jeans cost these days? Have your kids come home and requested some of these jeans? I don't understand what's wrong with Levi's, but they have all these new names and they like cost, you get like five pairs of Levi's for what some of these jeans cost today. He had those kinds of jeans, the expensive ones. Okay? This guy had exactly what he wanted. Um, so he grows up that way. He's the life of the party. Now, this is, if you recall our lesson on the Crusades, you remember I said that the governments were real pro-Crusade because it got all the guys that were knights that were fighting all the time and it sent them overseas so that they could go fight for real and they'd quit having the skirmishes. Okay. Well, the skirmishes continued. Generally not with the knights. They're off fighting the crusades. But that doesn't change the fact that the young men and the young boys who, who on Sunday afternoon need something to do go out there and they have skirmishes. Well, I've stolen an illustration that I think is dead on from my historical uh, uh, knowledge of it at least from John Michael. He says, you know what those were for those guys? He says they were like football games. It was one town against the other. And, 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 and they didn't really kill anybody. They'd beat them up. They'd arrest them. They'd put them in jail for the skirmish. The losing side would go to jail and have to be ransomed. And money would be paid. So I just threw up a football slide. Because you see, Assisi was fighting Peruga. That's Peruga in the blue. Um, hang on, let's put P on the helmet. Now, that's Peruga. <laughs> I worked hard on that, y'all. Appreciate it. Let's do it again. Come on. That's Peruga in the blue. Francis goes to, to war against Peruga with all the other fellows from Assisi that need some outlet for their aggression and testosterone on a Sunday afternoon. And uh, uh, they go to fight. Peruga wins. Francis is locked up for a year before he's redeemed. During that year, God starts working on his heart some. But Francis is still the king of frolic when he returns. Francis decides, though, this may be the life for him. So he decides he's going to join and become like go into the service of a real knight and head over for the Crusades. And he's going to really be the real deal. On his way, he has a a, a vision. And in the vision, Francis has asked this, this probing question. Who would you rather serve? Is it better to serve the servant or the master? I mean, do you, do you want, if, if you want to work for, let's put it in today's language. If you want to work for someone, would you rather work for the boss or the flunky? Okay, how many people would rather work for the boss? Okay, the rest of y'all are welcome to come to my law firm and apply for a job tomorrow. 
No. Francis had this vision and it occurred to Francis as he chewed on it and meditated and, and finally understood what was going on that he was being given an option of not going in the care of a knight and serving the knight who was a servant of God on a crusade, but instead of actually serving God himself directly, the master. And so Francis returned to Assisi. When Francis was there, his heart was overcome for the people who were less fortunate than him. Um, the, the stories are rampant. I've given you a 10-page handout. You can read it. You could go see the movie or rent the movie, uh, Brother, Son, Sister, Moon. Is that the name of the movie? Um, you can rent it. You, there are books on St. Francis. Uh, John Michael's got one on St. Francis that's out there. You can read the books. You can come up with, with uh, uh, some incredibly inspiring stories that happened in his life. I've pulled out just a few because with uh, uh, the guest we've got here today, um, uh, uh, I think uh, uh, I can tell you this stuff anytime. Okay, he can't come anytime. Um, let me tell you one that I found interesting. Becky, my wife, is here. Becky, where are you? Oh, there you are. Um, what is the one thing that you hate most in the world that can run around a house? Roaches. If there's a cockroach, she can't kill them. She's scared to death of them. These little things absolutely petrify my wife. She has what I consider an abnormal fear of cockroaches. <laughs> I grew up with mom. Mom had the same abnormal fear for mice. I'll never forget the first time in my life I heard my mom scream like um, there was terror in the world. And I came running in, and mom is standing on a chair in the kitchen. And I said, what are you doing? She was just screaming. She wouldn't quit screaming. She said, get your daddy, get your daddy. I said, if he's within 100 miles, I'm sure he's coming. What, <laughs> what, what are you doing? And she said, I think I saw a mouse. I'm, I'm, she, she was beside herself. I've never seen my mom beside herself outside of mice. Becky, same thing, outside of roaches. I don't know if you know anybody or if you personally have any abnormal uh, fears. Okay, Francis was absolutely repelled by lepers. Francis was absolutely repelled by lepers. And Francis had received an understanding from God that God was going to take the things in his life that were bitter and God was going to make them sweet. See, I love that aspect of God that he can do that. Because my temptation with God is to always tell him, okay, help me endure the bitter. The idea of taking the bitter and turn it into sweet is just a, a wonderful thing. And that's what God said he was going to do with St. Francis. So St. Francis is on his horse. He's going down the road and out comes a leper. And St. Francis just immediately beats a quick retreat. I mean, it's like he's seen a roach and he was my wife or a rat and he was my mom. It was a quick retreat. And St. Francis thought, you know, God's going to take the bitter. He's going to make it sweet. St. Francis got off his horse and went back and found the leper and took the money that he had out of his wallet, his purse, and he gave it to the leper. And he kissed the leper on the hand and he hugged the leper and said, where do you live? And he went where the leper lived and he embraced and kissed each one of the the people in the colony, the leper colony. St. Francis became a servant who 
not only did it because it was the right thing to do, God moved in St. Francis and made that one of the greatest joys in his life. God truly took the bitter and turned it into sweet. Francis uh, uh, was an interesting fella. Now, this is a guy who didn't live past his mid-40s. Didn't live past his mid-40s. Didn't really get into ministry till his mid to late 20s. St. Francis is uh, 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 at a church and he's praying and the church is in disrepair. It's not the church I've put in this PowerPoint. That's over in England somewhere and needs some help if anybody wants to help it. But St. Francis is at a church that is in disrepair. And St. Francis hears God telling him, go rebuild my church. Francis believes that what God wants him to do is rebuild that physical building. He doesn't understand yet that God is calling Francis into ministry to rebuild his body. So Francis is there and he thinks, okay, if that's what God wants me to do, I'll do it. And proceeds to go back home and take what amounts basically to his inheritance. I don't really think he was stealing from his father, but he takes a good bit of the cloth, puts it on a horse, goes to a nearby town that has a market and sells it all, including the horse. Comes back and takes the money to the church to try and offer it to rebuild the church. Dad gets very upset. This is not what France should be doing. This is more something Giovanni would have done. Okay, dad's really not tuned into this because remember, dad, dad has made it wealthy off of this new economy and son just isn't getting it. Son is seeming to think that money and stuff like that is something to be given away. Son is taking the material things dad's worked so hard for and using them for God. Dad doesn't understand this. Dad thinks God creates. God can make his own church. Why does son have to be doing this stuff? So dad uh, um, has it out with his son, tries talking to him and confronting him. That doesn't work. So basically he beats him up. It's a different day. That doesn't seem to work either. So dad takes him home and chains him in a closet. And um, uh, dad goes out to work. And mom feels real bad for Francis chained in the closet. And mom tries to talk sense to him. And Francis says, you know, I'm doing what God wants me to do. And nobody can stop me from doing that, mom. Mom says, okay. So mom uh, cuts him loose. I don't know what she thought she was going to tell dad when he got home. But uh, Francis uh, gets cut loose. Dad comes back. He's furious. Dad goes to Francis and he takes Francis. Francis, by the way, at this point is a penitent. And by that, he's put himself under the care of the bishop. So when dad comes to Francis and confronts Francis, Francis is able to appeal to the bishop and say, I'm actually under the care of the bishop. Francis is in his 20s, mid-20s, I believe. But he's not a child at this point. But dad uh, 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 really comes in front of the world and says to Francis, um, I disown you. You have no inheritance. And uh, Francis's response is to say, well, if you are disowning me and I have no father on earth, before I've called you my father, but now I'll just say my father in heaven. And Francis not only gives him back the money, which Francis, uh, the bishop had told Francis that wasn't your money to give to the church, go get the money back and give it to your father. 
But Francis takes off the very clothes that his clothing merchant father had no doubt provided and gives the clothes to the dad. And the bishop is so touched that the bishop uh, takes a cloak and wraps it around Francis so that he's not standing there with, uh, without anything on. Francis was a man whose heart was bent on following God, whatever the cost. His friends didn't understand him. His friends in the community didn't understand him. They thought this guy who'd been the life of the party, the king of frolic, had somehow whacked out and was a nutcase, maybe even a criminal. He's one of those guys, I mean, the guy walks around now almost as a beggar. In fact, he walks around as a beggar. His friends had, had seen some of this coming sometime before these events, I believe. He, as, he, as Francis was contemplating what God might be calling him to, his friends noticed him being absent-minded and said, you seem absent-minded. And one of the friends said, I know, I know, I've seen this look. You're thinking about getting married, aren't you? You got your brain set on some fair young Assisian damsel. And uh, St. Francis would just smile and tell his friends, oh, I'm thinking about marrying a lady far more noble, far more beautiful, far more special than anybody you've ever met. And the lady Francis was thinking about was Lady Poverty because Francis decided that he was going to give away everything that he had and have no possessions and take an apostolic calling in essence. And, uh, uh, you know, he wore a belt around. He was wearing at that point in time a, a brown, uh, do we call that a habit? Yeah. Okay, a brown habit like John Michael has on. He had on a belt. He had on shoes. He took those off and gave those away. Wasn't even going to keep the belt, just took an old knotted rope and tied it around to hold the habit to. And decided that he was going to walk the rest of his days preaching the gospel to anybody who would hear, man or beast. He would talk, there were a flock of birds, and he'd walk up to them. They'd stay there for St. Francis, and he would tell the birds about Jesus and tell them to fly to the glory of God. Uh, St. Francis had no... He treated everybody equally. He treated everybody with love and with kindness, and that's who he was. Now, the stories about him are numerous. I want to leave... 15 minutes for John Michael to sing to us and to share with us a little bit about Francis as, as his life has led him into Francis. But I would, I would like to tell you how St. Francis died first. As he was getting near death, his body was worn out. Uh, Saint, oh, there are some great stories. In the Crusades, Francis decided to go preach in the Crusades. And St. Francis, he goes over the Crusades and he preaches to the, the Christian troops. Do you know what he does when he's done? says, okay, see you guys in a minute. And goes over to the town they're sieging of Muslims, bangs on the gate and says, let me in, i got to preach. They let him in. He preaches to the Muslims. We don't know of any conversions. We don't know what he exactly did. He did wrangle out of the chief leader of them an agreement to let Christians worship without persecuting them. And he finished preaching to the Muslims and he left and went back and did his ministry in Italy. I mean, can you imagine... That'd be like a chaplain today uh, going over to a war country, go over to, you know, finish preaching in South Korea and say, okay, I got to go through the DMZ. I got to go talk to Kim Il Jung Jung Wung, whatever his name is, the North Korean leader. Kim John Il, thank you. I'm sorry, I had a mind blank. So 
That's what he does. He's got God. He's just out. He doesn't own anything. One time a bishop said to him, shouldn't you have some possessions? He said, if I had possessions, I'd feel like I have to defend them. Right now, I don't have anything to defend. So when he's on his deathbed, it's real touching. He, um, this painting that I'm using um, for St. Francis on his deathbed is St. Francis on his deathbed. Uh, it's a fresco in a church that was done by Giotto uh, uh, within 90 or so years of Francis dying. And uh, this is up in Florence. And Francis is on his deathbed, and uh, uh, he decides that he wants not to have anything. So the one thing he owned at that point in time was his, his, his habit. And he took it off and borrowed a cloth to cover him. And, but he gave it away because he truly didn't want to have even one possession as he died. Um, um, he had them put him on the ground, on the bare ground. He wanted to lay on the bare ground. He didn't want there to be anything between him and the earth. He called his friends to him and uh, had the gospel of the passion out of the gospel of John read to him. And uh, um, uh, then he started singing a psalm out of Psalm 142. And as he sang the last verse of the psalm, which says, Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name, he died. Um, there are lots of things about St. Francis that uh, 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 I don't begin to understand. There are accounts of him having the stigmata, which are the marks of Christ, and a lot of witnesses to that. Uh, that's not the kind of thing that, as a Protestant, I'm real comfortable with. Um, the stigmata are, are, are nail holes. There were reported to be nail holes in his hands and his feet, and a, a, a spear wound uh, uh, indication of a spear wound in his side. Uh, I have no doubt that he had the stigmata in his life. By that I mean he, he truly had, as one writer, one of his companions said, before he ever received the signs on his body in his life, he had the stigmata in his heart. He bore the cross of Christ everywhere he went. That was what motivated and compelled him. That's how he saw everybody. And so I want to look at our points for home briefly before John Michael sings. And I want to look at them in a couple of different lights. First of all, Look at what John Michael, the, uh, not John Michael, uh, look at what St. Francis teaches us as far as our persecution as believers. There were times, uh, a lot of times, where St. Francis was persecuted as a criminal. People treated him as a criminal. They would uh, uh, keep him from going places. They'd kick him out of places. They'd lob mud at him and throw rocks at him. They would steal from him, not that he had anything to steal. They, would, they, they abused him. Uh, 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 extremely. In addition to his persecution as criminals, uh, uh, being persecuted as a criminal, uh, we read about how he and his fellows, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, I've left totally out Claire, and, and that's a mistake, but read about it in the handout. Um, um, but Francis uh, and his, his brothers and sisters, when they were persecuted like this, are said to, quote, endure it with patience. I love that. I don't know how patient I would be with persecution, especially if it was wrong persecution. I'm not patient if someone says something. In, in my law practice, I have uh, uh, lots of stuff that's, that's sometimes said about me. Uh, I've shared with you all one time about how the shark watch is out on the Internet because I'm a shark who claims to be a Christian, but really I'm a lawyer and the two cannot be, uh, coexist within 100 feet of each other. Um, the uh, uh, you know, and I first time I got that, I thought, 
oh, that just, that really upsets me. And I was just going to go fix it. I was going to go find the people behind it, and I was just going to book it. I don't endure things with patience. It's something I'd love to do. And it's very hard to do. And it's something maybe I'll grow into. But because Francis endured with patience, many of the people around him experienced a change of heart and actually came to know Jesus, the people actually abusing him. And I think that's wonderful. It reminded me of a few passages of Scripture. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. I mean, those aren't words that mean nothing. Those are true words of life from God himself. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kind of evil against you. That's a wonderful blessing because it happens to all of us. Jesus said to love your enemies. And we know that. We know that so much I fear sometimes it loses its meaning. But when honestly was the last time we sat there and prayed for someone who persecutes us? And by pray, I don't mean God strike them dead. <laughs> Peter, 1 Peter is a book about suffering. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, Peter said, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Peter doesn't say it'll end tomorrow. He just says, you just commit yourself to God and keep walking. You just continue to do good. And that's what St. Francis did. And uh, as Peter says earlier in chapter 3, he says sometimes husbands are being won to Christ without their wives even saying a word, just by the way the wives are living. You just continue to do good. Um, interactions with Christians. This is interesting. Francis would admonish and correct his brothers, but only after he consulted with the Lord. He did say, first you show them, and then you tell them. Actually, he didn't. One of his companions said that that's the way Francis lived. Sorry. He would show you first, and then he would tell you what you needed to do. And when he admonished, he would admonish with kindness... He would reprimand with reason and command with gentleness. Now, what I think is important here, ladies and gentlemen, this is not what Francis said, here's what I do. This is what his companions said he did. You get the difference. This is not Francis saying, when I admonish, I do it with kindness. He had humility above all things, but that's the way he did. It was the Hebrews 10.24, consider how to spur one another toward love and good deeds without it becoming Jesus' Matthew 7. How can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye when I have a two-by-four in my own? You see, the hypocrisy was not there for Francis because he did before he said. And he said with kindness. Interaction with Christians. Um, Francis did appoint someone to govern over him because he didn't ever want to be in a position of pride because God opposes the proud. But God gives grace to the humble. So we're to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and let Him be the one who lifts us up. Interaction with others. He would respect the elderly, honor the noble, love the poor intimately, and show compassion to them. Angel tree, incredible ministry. Showing compassion to the children that don't have anything otherwise. 
feeding the people. Um, I mean, there's so much hurt in our world and so much need for compassion. And the nice thing about Francis is, by the way, we're all rich. Some richer than others, agreed. But there's not a person in this room that compared to people in, in, in parts of this planet aren't rich. Okay? And I want to tell you, Francis said you love the rich people just as much as you love the poor people. Everybody hurts and everybody needs God. Show respect and love and compassion to everyone. Don't look down and don't judge anyone. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. Um, last point, God's owner of all we have. Francis had poverty. God doesn't call, I don't believe, all of us to sell everything we have and give it to the poor. But God does call all of us to recognize that anything we have is His. And for some of us, He wants us to sell it all and give it to the poor. But for all of us, He wants us to treat it understanding it's His and not ours. It's, it's something that's God's. It's not something that possesses us. We possess it. And we're to treat it that way. And if someone's hurt, we give to them. And we don't worry that God's not going to take care of our needs because He will. Our God and Father, I pray your blessings on all here this morning. And Father, you have in so many ways so deeply and richly touched um, us and touched this world. Uh, we live in our own little rooms almost and don't get outside to see some of the ways your hand works. And, and uh, yet it clearly does. And it's an honor to be your children at this place in time. It is our prayer that your spirit will continue to grow us in the peace and the love that's found nowhere except in you. Through Jesus our Lord. Amen.